September 4th, 1972. The Price is Right premieres on CBS. It would eventually go on to win six Emmys, 12 Golden Globes, and 57,000 discarded dog testicles. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And hot dog, summer in the city, uh, we got Malcolm Nygaard with us. Yeah, and oh. his, his neck is famously both dirty and gritty. I, the back, look, specifically. I, I'm only seeing you on Zoom. I, Your neck looks perfectly clean and smooth to me. Fellas, I work outside. Let me tell you, this <laughs> summer has been a scorcher. <laughs> God, I cannot imagine working outside anymore. Um, listeners, uh, this is not a neck evaluation podcast, um, although if it were, we'd have three fine specimens right here with Just real quick, you can't imagine the concept of working outside anymore? Okay, that's a a well-known idiom, (laughs) and I will not stand for this. I have never heard... The idiom, I can't imagine working outside anymore. Uh, no, but, like, I can't imagine. It's like a fucking thing that everyone goddamn says at some point sure. in their godforsaken lives. But uh, still... Gu- guys, I had a whole Gatorade, and at some point I'm gonna have to go work outside and come back. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, it pushes the bounds of the fucking human imagination and spirit. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's a normal part of life to occasionally go outside and, like, lift something or move a thing. No, w- when I go outside, I'm exclusively stationary. It's only leisure. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, no, it's not even leisure, because that involves some work. It's mainly just okay. light photosynthesis. I feel like um, I've run us off on the wrong track. <laughs> that's okay. Um, that's, that's what we do. Um, part of the fun is getting us back on the right path, which yeah. I... I'm failing at. It's like the trolley problem for podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's that's our unique selling point. Mm -hmm. Um, Listeners, if you're new to the show, what we do each episode is we take a topic from history. One person presents the official uh, pull the correct lever on the trolley problem version of events. And another person comes up with the Pull the horse medicine lever on the trolley problem <laughs> version of events. Uh, the real story and the alternate history. Um, to put it in a way someone could reasonably understand. Sure. Uh, and then the winning story becomes the truth of so, the world in a way that we're sort of uncomfortable with since the is, events of 2020 and 2021. It is interesting you put it that way because the trolley problem, obviously the crux is you pull the lever and you're actively killing one person instead of passively killing like five or whatever, right? Yeah. So the alternate history in many ways is the actively killing one person as opposed to the real history where you passively let thousands die as you recite the story of what yeah. truly happened. Honestly, sometimes when we talk about monsters, that's my strategy with an alternate history. Well, it's more like it's it's more like an Earth Two trolley problem. Yeah, where yeah, if you pull yeah. the second one, you have a world with way more blimps, mm-hmm. and the whole sky is just Earth, really sepia yeah. toned, so you can tell it's different. I Everyone's like the... got hats with gears on it. Oh yeah. I don't know why Marvel hasn't come to us to like tie in with their What If series because that's basically what we do here. Um, yeah, that's and true. we deserve Marvel's money. They've lost and, Scarlett Johansson. We're the next on the list. And yeah, as always, it's just about IP. Yeah, you exactly. guys have these properties. 
Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I am willing to sell out and put like Captain America in every single one of my alternate histories. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I, I basically am Odo the Watcher. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know. I believe it's Udu, but... Udu, yeah. Guys, it's Uatu, and if if you're just going to make me correct everything... (laughs) I didn't want to do this. Well, yeah, you're the most uniquely qualified to do so, so... What if a nerd came on the podcast? God, I can't... I would not allow... Because this is exclusively a a jock zone. I couldn't even finish that. Also, jock zone is... Is that Uatu Sauce mispronounced his name both times. Yeah, and that's just awkward. Like, he's yeah. not mad. He's just uncomfortable. He actually saw it in over 96% of all realities, unfortunately. <laughs> so mm. That 4%, though, that's, that's what we're trying for. Um, we are in the middle of our miniseries on spies. Mm-hmm. And um, our most recent episode, Matahari, with John McCoy, um, I can report to you now. Um, because the embargo is lifted, um, that the alternate history won out, uh, which was Zach's very succinct alternate history, where uh, Matahari and Coco Chanel peed in a magic fountain. So their fates were switched. So their fates were switched. Even though part of my history was encouraging people to vote for the real history, because it's underreported. And I think people should know the truth of Matahari, but sure. Uh, Look, again, increasingly uncomfortable with one of the core premises of the show. So, <laughs> listeners, if you have something we could replace it with, like, I don't know, recipes or something like that, fucking let us know. We can still talk about history, that we just don't have to pretend that some, <laughs> that some dick and butt story is the truth. Sorry, I just heard white noise all the way through after you just said I had to follow John McCoy, so I'm just recovering from that. <laughs> gem. The, a total well, gem. Yeah. Uh, great man, great voice. Uh, one of the most well-researched and well-documented uh, guest histories we've had. So thank you to John. Um, and But uh, this time we are talking about uh, Francis Walshingham, uh, finally someone who's not from the 20th century. Yeah. Um, First so, time in a while. Yeah. Um, Zach, you're doing the true story. That is true, yeah. And Malcolm, you're doing the alternate? I'll try. <laughs> All right. That, I mean, frankly, that's my attitude each and every time. Um, but Zach, uh, whenever you're ready, take it away. All right. Uh, Francis Walsingham was born in approximately 1532. This is going to be one of those where it's long enough ago that some of the dates are going to be like, maybe this happened this year or the year before or the year after. So, you know, just be ready for that. Um, He was born to a wealthy, connected family in Kent, um, a Protestant family. That will be important. Um, (laughs) Having uh, his family had relations with uh, Anne Boleyn who uh, was uh, uh, his aunt by marriage, uh, or his aunt by marriage's sister, I should say. And uh, also to, um, and also to the gentleman of the Privy Chamber to King Henry VIII. The gentleman of the Privy Chamber did not have anything to do with shitting. Um, It was, in fact, an important role that I think is more or less analogous to 
secretary of state or something of that nature. Uh, it's a very okay. high ranking advisor. So again, just more euf- euphemisms we're building up today. Correct. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got to go do my secretarial duties, guys. <laughs> um, my, my minister of the very far interior, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the interior turned exterior. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So Walsingham uh, went to King's College, Cambridge, um, before traveling to Europe between approximately 1550 to 1552, and then eventually enrolled at Gray's Inn, which doesn't sound like a thing you should be able to enroll in, (laughs) but in fact was. um, It was one of a few different places for qualifying to become a lawyer. It was associated with what what would be the equivalent of the bar today. Um, I don't know how 1550s English education works, but that's part of it. Um, uh, so in 1553, Mary I, a.k.a. Bloody Mary, becomes the queen. And like so many Protestants, uh, Walsingham is like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here and goes to Switzerland to continue studying. During her reign, Mary does indeed kill quite a few Protestants uh, and tries to, you know, make the Reformation not be a thing, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, But uh, Mary does die uh, a few years later, and Protestant Elizabeth I takes the throne in 1558, and he comes on home. Uh, He's quickly elected to Elizabeth's first parliament, um, at which around which time he marries the Lord Mayor of London's daughter, uh, the Mm. widow Anne Barn, in 1562. But she dies in 1564, leaving her son from a previous marriage in his care. Um, uh, He marries another widow. I guess widows were his type. Uh, (laughs) Named Ursula St. Barb in 66. I love that name. Yeah. Uh, In 67, they have uh, a daughter together who's named Frances. Uh, so, Ooh, uh, female Francis, a, as I just got to a shiver. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> the rare daughter with the same name as the father. Uh, yeah. Carbo, no questions. Continue. Yeah. You don't see it too often, but he pulled it off. Um, that same year, Ursula St. Barb's other two sons die in a gunpowder accident. So, <laughs> I mean, sorry, that's horrible, but. Just the phrase gunpowder accident kind of Again, guys. euphemisms, guys. To be like, fair, it was an explosion. Like, they didn't get... Right, like, so... A barrel the, of gunpowder didn't get dropped on them by I mean, a coyote. If it makes you feel better, it's been over 450 years. So, it's not... Yeah, that's, uh, you know... We could, uh, we could let the help. healing begin a yeah. little bit. Mm-hmm. But for those two unnamed people. Yeah. Too soon, uh, guys. They do Too have soon. names. I didn't write them down. <laughs> No, I know. I know they have names. Yeah. John and the, and another one, Francis. <laughs> yeah. Um. Soon, uh, he begins his first foray into what me, might be considered some of his uh, international affairs and or spy work. Um. There is a plot that is uh commonly called the Rodolphi plot, uh, to replace Elizabeth with Mary, Queen of Scots, um. And Walsingham works uh, doggedly to prevent this from coming to happen, spreads propaganda, looks into possible conspirators. He interrogates the titular Rodolfi in his own home, as a matter of fact. Uh, and the plot is exposed and thwarted. 
And he's um, the one that uh, started the ball rolling where now Facebook has to put a bar underneath saying if, if something's been discredited, you know, it's yeah, like a misinformation. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was all about uh, the truth and ethical integrity as this, this story will bear out, I'm sure. Well, uh, see, the neither thing is, is Facebook. It, I understand. In the 1500s, Facebook was just a guy who went from town to town raiding people's hotness and destroying democracy. Oh, okay. I thought maybe he would literally be taking faces, because that seems like something that would happen. <laughs> no, you're thinking of leather Facebook. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so, soon he was chosen as the ambassador to Paris uh, for England, and an a, an a, and he uh, dedicated himself to aiding the Huguenots, who were French Protestants. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, he worked on finding a suitable husband, French husband, to Elizabeth um, and creating an anti-Spanish treaty with France. This would dog him for many years. Um, he wanted the treaty before he accepted a husband. And one of the husbands they offered was like uh, had Catholic roots. He didn't like that. And once Elizabeth was past uh, the age to have children, there was a danger that France could have a claim to the English throne. So this whole thing kind of was a constant thorn in his side. It never really fully came to fruition. Uh, fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, uh, he was uh, also there to provide sanctuary to French Protestants who were in power after the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre when Catholic forces killed a whole bunch of major Protestant leaders in France. Um, later in uh, 73, he returns to England and he is selected... Um, Principal secretary, which uh, is, in fact, um, the equivalent of secretary of state. Uh, It's, you know, a pretty high position. And he was knighted in 77. Um, So this one's not the toilet one, then? No, actually, I think that was more like a principal advisor. And and this is the proper secretary of state. Um, He gains a whole bunch more titles during this time, as you do if you're a successful, you know, you know, uh, upper class person in compound in interest, times. baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and during his time as basically secretary of state, he's a major supporter of the exploration of the new world. Uh, he makes new trade routes and is deeply engaged with foreign policy. He supports exploration to find the Northwest passage. Francis Drake's explorations are pushed by Walsingham and funded by him. Um, and he also has a general uh, idea that if uh, people like Drake can find new lands, maybe they can use that to encourage the Catholics to leave um, and go there instead. Uh, I, that, that's a what if. Yeah. <laughs> Catholic New World. Um, oh, no. Speaking, speaking as a former Catholic, no thank you. <laughs> I, I don't want to spend my day living in my family's good friday celebration not celebration that's not the one you do on that day um that yeah the the first thanksgiving they had to keep it took forever because they had to keep standing up and sitting down yeah (laughs) you know yeah and there was always like everyone was like well is it and also with you or and with your spirit because i can't keep up with this shit what are we at yeah. yeah yeah Uh, awful. Regardless, um, truly the worst thing about the Catholic Church. Yeah, the changing vernacular. Yeah, that, um, that, that, it's everything else is actually pretty people. good. I'm nothing I'm, I'm else. Fine. Yeah, yeah. Like there's no yeah. major scandals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All the popes we, have been good. 
Yeah. We can just address it obliquely. We don't need to. Uh, regardless. Hopes of being good. Um, so uh, he pursues pro-Protestant operations abroad, um, especially in France. Uh, he is extremely opinionated when offering advice to Elizabeth I, uh, who describes him as the more who cannot change his color in regard to his strident opinions. Now, in today's language, that seems racist. In 1575, it was probably like weirdly progressive because they acknowledged non-white people existed at all and weren't directly racist about it. Huge. Big. <laughs> yeah. Great. Um, yeah, he was also deeply savvy. Uh, he proved this early. Uh, there was a French ambassador named St- uh, Strafford, the guy who replaced him as the French ambassador, who was actually working with Spain and giving them information because he had a big old gambling debt. And Walsingham seemingly figured this out and started feeding that guy false information to funnel over to Spain. Um, yeah. Uh, at the same time, the pro-England leadership uh, in Scotland is ousted and falls apart, which causes a, another problem for him as an Englishman. Um, uh, his daughter dies. His other daughter is widowed. And his son, his adoptive son, becomes a war hero. So, one out of three. Francis. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, widow isn't the worst life. Yeah, no. She's widowed. Uh, she also has a stillborn child. It's my, a bad my year. My wife is raising the roof, and I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> or if I should be frightened. Um, Probably nothing. She's Probably been no. She's been dusting off her shawls lately and mm-hmm. uh, get, getting warmed up for long walks on a lighthouse deck. She bought yeah. a box of black armbands from Amazon for some reason. <laughs> she keeps impromptu collapsing into strangers' arms, uh, but claims it's an exercise. So, And I believe her. We yeah. got a fainting couch in an alley. Yes. Uh, we don't really have room for it. but Yeah, she says it's a trust fall, but also sometimes she says trustee fall. Uh, like she's going <laughs> to inherit something? I'm not really sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, regardless... Um, I'm just kidding. Brian does not have anything of significant value to leave. <laughs> Got him. I I have a Nintendo Switch, sir. I will inform oh, right. you. You can only play one game of Animal Crossing on the damn thing, so. <laughs> All right. Uh, Walsingham uh, was also a fan of torture um, for interrogation purposes. Catholics suspected of conspiracy or priests were often tortured uh, and uh, often executed. Uh, One of these was Edmund Campion, who became a martyr and saint in the Catholic Church. He was hanged, drawn, and quartered for being a Catholic conspirator under Elizabeth I. Um, He was deeply paranoid about Catholics because of the St. Bartholomew's Day massacre he had seen in France. And, of course, the fact that Mary uh, I, Bloody Mary, had killed a lot of Protestants. She burned them alive. So there you go. Um, he employed a large web of informers and forgers and code breakers who would monitor a, a lot of correspondence, reapply seals to look like they were never broken, fake letters, uh, you know, all these kind of things. Um, Walsingham uh, got a hold of some letters from uh, the Spanish ambassador to England, a man named Mendoza that uh, outlined a plot to oust Elizabeth in favor of Mary, Queen of Scots, returning once again. Um, He quickly employed spies in various embassies and found uh, an English co-conspirator 
named Nicholas Throckmorton, actually a son of one of his old friends, um, uh, who was clearly involved in the in the in the conspiracy. Throckmorton was tortured uh, and confessed. He was then executed, and Mendoza was uh, expelled back to Spain out of England. Um, that, that seems less bad than you know torture and execution. Yeah. Diplomatic immunity, I guess. <laughs> Lethal Weapon 2 took place in 1570s England. Um, yeah, that's another what if. Yeah. Let's get, um, who are the fucking Mel Gibson and the other? Sure. Uh, Danny Glover. Danny Glover. Uh, who is, of course, too old with an E for this shit. With Love an it. E also. Yeah. Uh, shite, I guess you would say. Um, Spain at this point had quashed a nascent Protestant rebellion, uh, increasing, uh, the power of Catholics in Spain, um, and indeed increasing the danger to Elizabeth I from outside. Uh, so, uh, Walsingham creates the Bond of Association, an agreement by all signatories to find and kill any local threats to Elizabeth I, um... And indeed, after this, Walsingham begins to hold Mary, Queen of Scots, who at this point has been at least mentioned in two plots to out Elizabeth I, under tight observation and scrutiny in a moated castle uh, where her letters were, were screened. Except there was a flaw in security. And that flaw was there were kegs that were smuggled in and out that could theoretically be used to take letters. But... This flaw in security was intentionally left by Walsingham to trick Mary, Queen of Scots, into, like, corresponding with possible conspirators. So uh, she and a man named Anthony Babington corresponded about a plot to kill and replace Elizabeth. Tony uh, Babs, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Tony Babs enter exits the story here because he and 14 <laughs> others were were executed for this plot. And Mary, uh, finally having an active hand in one of these, goes on trial. Um, she accuses trial of working towards her death um, during uh, the trial. Uh, she, uh, she accuses Walsingham of working towards her death. Um, and he defends his honor, saying he did everything in the service of his country. Um, eventually, Mary is found guilty. Uh, Elizabeth is hesitant to execute her own cousin. But to ease her mind, uh, Walsingham actually asked uh, Mary's warden to, quote, shorten her life. But uh, the warden refused on moral and legal grounds to take extrajudicial sort of uh, implied execution. Um, and eventually Elizabeth relents and signs the, the uh, execution warrant. Um, this is, results in Mary being very swiftly beheaded, actually too quickly, more quickly than Elizabeth wanted, because the Undersecretary of State just brought it over to, like, this council with that she he wasn't supposed to bring it to. The execution was rushed. This pissed off Elizabeth, who put this Undersecretary in the Tower of London. Walsingham was probably not involved in this because he was deeply ill at the time and not uh, involved in, like, the chambers of the Secretary of State. When all this went down, though he eventually so you said executed too quickly. I, I, I just pictured that like he did like a really fast samurai strike. Yeah, and that, he's kneeling like the... ten feet away, and then the head just slowly falls off, and then we see the blood drop come off, and everyone's like, "Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah." That's what we could we can imagine. That's what happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it's like Quicksilver came through and did it while everyone was like moving in slow motion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's 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 a scene from X Men, uh, or the or the Snyder cut, if you prefer. Yeah. And a fly um, lands on the sword for just per, for speed perspective. Yeah, exactly. A fly is also is cut literally in half by the sword oh, yeah. in slow yeah. motion. Yeah, it's all yeah. that shit. Yeah. Um. So, uh, that's the end of Mary Queen of Scots. Uh, the other main thing Walsingham is known for is he had a lot of merchant spies throughout uh, Spain, um, encouraging like riots and disruption against the Catholics who, who ran the place. Uh, uh, at one point, Spain, the Spanish Armada, attempted uh, a movement on England, and Walsingham quickly assembled a force uh, in 1588 to repel them. Uh, a naval commander named Lord Henry said that he had, quote, fought more with his pen than many in the Navy had with their enemies. Um, unquote. Walsington had spies, in fact, all across Europe. Uh, he had the mo- one of the most active spy rings of anybody in history. Um, uh, and uh, even in the Mediterranean. And he was exceptionally skilled in this regard. Uh, one spy may have even been playwright Christopher Marlowe during the years he lived in France. Mm-hmm. Um which we, I know we touched on that in, like, an episode from, like, I think a year and a half ago? Hmm. Maybe. He's Shakespeare, though? Oh, was he? Sh- no, no, mm. no, no, no. You sure? You sure about that? <sighs> I, mm. personally, I don't know. yes. Roland Emmerich seems to believe thing. so, I believe. <laughs> Wait, who believes that? Didn't Roland Emmerich make that movie anonymous? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm not really going around basing a lot of my own personal beliefs on Roland Emmerich. I don't know. That speech in Independence Day is pretty convincing. Yeah, that's true. That is true. You know what? I take it back. Uh, So it's also worth noting that from uh, 1571 on, Walsingham had regular periods of bad health. Uh, The diagnosis ranged a lot. Uh, Not clear exactly what was wrong with him. Anything from urinary infection, diabetes, cancer to kidney stones. Those are some of the ones they listed as possible causes of his ill health. He had trouble urinating and constant pain. Um, But he doesn't die until April of 1590, uh, when his death is attributed to testicular cancer. Uh, He's 58 years old. Um, His grave... Gotta check, guys. Yeah, exactly. Gotta check. Gotta do it. I'm uh, getting to that age, but yeah. let's actually, I realized as I was saying that I don't really want to talk about my testicular self exams on the podcast. You know, you're running a spy ring and you're killing Queens and you just kind of think you're on top of the world and you just, you yeah. know, it could and be any, anybody, yep. uh, everybody get checked. <laughs> um, so he was buried at St. Paul cathedral, but, uh, his grave was one of the ones lost, uh, in the Great Fire of 1666. In fact, on September 4th of 1666, uh, St. Paul's hey. Cathedral board, burned down and his remains were lost. Um, uh, yeah, he's remembered... Uh, well, he's remembered by Catholics as a horrible, ruthless, and, you know, violent, horrible, you know, monster. Um, and he pretty much was ruthless. He's remembered, obviously, somewhat differently by Catholics, though... Realistically, this was a time period when both sides were pretty fucking violent. Yeah. So yeah. it's hard to make a strong judgment on what the fuck to think about that, in my personal I mean, opinion. 
Yeah, um, this is the same time period that would eventually lead us to something called the Thirty Years' War, which yeah. lives up to its name. Yeah, uh, um, which we'll probably get into. That's... Regardless, that was the life of Francis Walsingham, Elizabeth's spy master. All right, Zach, thank you. Mm-hmm. Malcolm, whenever you're ready. Oh boy. Okay. Well, I kind of wrote up like a book report. <laughs> Perfect. It's been a while, too. All right. Born in 1532, a young Frank Miller had dreams of only one oh, thing. No. Oh, no. To someday meet the queen. I'm Different hoping, one. so I'm figuring we're going to have... Different one. All Different the... One. Okay. Oh, okay. no, because I was going to say, are all the women in this story going to be prostitutes or... Mm-hmm. Um, well, London was distress? the first Sin City. Yeah, but... Yeah. <laughs> coincidence. Coincidence. Frank Miller had dreams of only one thing, to someday meet the queen. But he was born to poor farmers, and instead of attending a high-born school, he spent his childhood working on his father's farm. Hmm. Frank was eager, but he was prone to daydreaming. It wasn't uncommon for him to nod off at the plow, dreaming of a royal procession in front of the palace. The queen is waving politely to all her subjects, but Mm -hmm. stops at the sight of a distinguished Frank in the crowd. She alights from her carriage... (laughs) Extending Sorry. her hand to the young man who kneels and kisses it with the appropriate admiration. Sorry, I'm just thinking of distinguished Franks as like a sort of upper class hot dog place. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we have those in Chicago. Yeah, they're big. Yeah, distinguished Franks. You got sport pepper on it and uh, celery salt. And the bun is just way too deep. Yeah, the bun is a bunch of monocles. So, for extra crisp. So... Uh, he kneels and kisses her hand with the appropriate admiration. At this point, Frank would come to, learning that he had driven the plow clear off the property and was now kneeling in front of a beehive. <laughs> oh, no. in... Is he going to become Candyman? Is he kissing a beehive? <laughs> covered in poultices over bee stings, he would get an earful from his father about keeping his mind on the work in front of him. But this pattern continued throughout his youth. And after the day, he imagined himself christening Her Majesty's next ship, only to realize he'd swung a full bucket of milk through the kitchen window, knocking a vase of dried flowers into the open oven, and starting a spreading fire, he was told firmly that he'd have to find work elsewhere. Wow. (laughs) By his parents. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's... I mean, Um, I thought getting a write-up from my parents was rough, but... It's a good thing Tumblr wasn't around, or he would be on, like, Queen self-insert fanfic Tumblr, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So poor, lost, and hungry with no relevant skills, the young Frank Miller stumbled into a dirty London town in 1549. It was overwhelming, the sounds, the smells, the refinery. He just knew he had to get to one place. Any guesses? The Buckingham Uh, Palace? Well, Frank was famished, so he immediately followed his nose to an open market. Mm. So, so many open stalls with all kinds of foods, but to an ignorant country bumpkin, it looked like an open farm table back home. He began to grab one of everything, filling his arms with apples, a cheese wheel, two baguettes and a big X, a bunch of grapes, a bag of dry tea, some chrysanthemums, and a half cheese wheel that was a different color. Oh, no. So a cheese wheel and a half bit. So he is very hungry, is what we're... Starving. (laughs) 
Needless to say, before long, he was being pursued by guards with big pikes and those metal helmets with the big feathers. <laughs> Confused and scared, he rounded a corner and jumped into so, a wooden barrel. Yeah, this is very much the one jump ahead part of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, okay. I mean, also, like, he's got all that food. That cheese wheel is at least 15 hit points. <laughs> if I remember Skyrim correctly. Yeah. It was a very tight fit, but for the time being, he was safe. As the hours passed, he began to nibble at the baguettes propped up vertically in between his knees <laughs> or pull at the bunch of grapes resting on his shoulder with his teeth. But as we all do after a big brunch, Frank fell asleep. And he awoke with the distinct feeling he was in a brand new location. He lifted the lid to reveal that, in fact, he was. Anyone know where he was? Uh, now I'm going to say the, the palace? Graham's Frank Chinese was, Theater? Frank was on the battlefield. Oh, oh no. Okay. It was the middle of the war with France, and he had been delivered among some supplies to the army. Frank wandered blindly through an encampment, taking in the rolling haze, the screams of the wounded, and the constant metal clanging. Moments later, taking him in, just soaking it up. Yeah. Moments later, he was being shouted down by an angry lieutenant. He couldn't understand a word the man was saying, but Frank knew he, he must be in the wrong. He nodded and saluted repeatedly, making the most compliant, respectful expression he could. And within the hour, he was in a line of soldiers holding the French flag straight. Oh, oh no. no. Yeah. Oh. How did this barrel get over to the French side? So he sort of just Mr. Magoo'd his way over to almost committing treason. Oh, just a mishap, yeah. I guess they saw it was full of cheese wheels and were like, oh, this must belong to France. Just by smell, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And baguettes, yeah. <laughs> He's asleep in the middle of the day, yeah. No. <laughs> the line of troops marched forward and Frank could do nothing but follow. The French commands didn't help him, but when the line swung left or right, after a jostle, he would adjust. He got mesmerized by the colors of the flag above him at one point, and then when he looked back down, the line was way ahead. Uh, <laughs> double speed charge with bayonets forward, but he quickly caught up. The battle was a lot, and Frank <laughs> lost. <laughs> yeah. How many Frank times lost... have you heard that from veterans? Oh. So, uh, I can't even with this oh, shrapnel right now. Just, it was a day. And Frank <laughs> lost many of his fellow soldiers in the gunfire. Hashtag barely adulting, I think, Oof. was the thing with soldiers at that time. TFW, the... you go to war. <laughs> <laughs> the musket smoke and the early morning fog began to mix up. And soon, Frank could see naught besides the cloth fluttering over his head. He roamed for a while, looking for his unit with some difficulty. He stubbed his toe on a helmet, causing him to bump his <laughs> nose against his flagpole. And more than once, he walked through a horse pie. Mm. <laughs> oh, this is, this a... is Francis I mean... Walsingham's no good, very bad day. Yeah. What a... Oh, just... I mean, also, when you follow a battle with that, it's like, oh, that seems kind of kind of nice. I want to step in some horse poop. <laughs> to stay brave in the face of hardship, Frank began to imagine more noble circumstances. 
He was standing at the bow of a punting boat, pushing his pole to guide his passenger along the Thames. Her Majesty lounged in the stern, watching him with playful admiration. (laughs) He fed off her energy, rowing more cavalierly, one leg up like a great explorer. He twirled the oar like a baton. In fact, Frank was handing the French flag to the English commander, and behind him were several high-ranking French officers who had followed his flag through the fog, and they were all roughly apprehended. But when Frank was grabbed on both arms by guards a foot taller on both sides, his small-framed portrait of the queen fell out of his coat. Oh, no. Uh Everybody froze. (laughs) The English commander looked at the picture and then at Frank, who nodded with solemn affection. Mere days later, to his amazement, Frank was standing in front of... um, Well, who do we think he was standing in front of? (laughs) The logical guess would be the queen... Uh, but I'll say Kate Blanchett, who would later play the queen. Mm. I'm going to say Paddington. Ooh, that's good. That's it. Yeah, good guess. It was the chief tailor at the palace. Oh, okay. Mm. okay. Frank okay. was being clothed in finer material than he could dream of on his way to being knighted. <laughs> but the fitting was a struggle. He got poked a bit with his brooch, which startled him. The ruffled collar was a bit of a hindrance. So I he... mean, again, this is a man who has seen battle at this yeah. point. <laughs> Sometimes it could be I mean, just as daunting, you know? It's true. To be it's fair, true. based on this description, he was at a battle, but he wasn't really That's... paying attention. I don't know how <laughs> yeah, much he this... saw. So the ruffled collar was a bit of a hindrance. He couldn't turn fully to acknowledge the tailors on either side of him. His new sword was a highlight, and once he was alone, he began a mock fence with it. Oh, yeah, you got yeah. it. But he did accidentally slash across a painting of a noblewoman. But he was able to fix it by tearing out the offending strip, sliding up the bottom of the painting, making the woman about a foot shorter, but now intact again. <laughs> also, and, take, it, take it from someone who did a lot of high school theater. The first thing you do when you get swords is you fuck around with you them. You mock fence with them. In that moment, he was quite suddenly called for the procession. So he way too quickly sheathed his sword, pinched the fabric of his sleeve and the scabbard. So if he weren't nervous enough, now he had to walk down a red carpet in front of all his idols with an awkward limp, his whole body bent to the right. Meeting, uh, yeah, finally the queen, had a bit of the joy taken out of it, Because he had to kneel like a camel to get down. (laughs) And her sword on his shoulder was a lot colder than expected, too. So that was a surprise. And he made a little sound. (laughs) When Her Majesty asked for his name, sweaty, crooked, tongue-tied, and starstruck Frank could only fumble out a... But ever the model of grace, she knighted him Sir Francis of Walsingham, the site of his great military victory he learned much later. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he's this truly a Forrest Gump-esque figure. That yeah, we've... he's... Uh, <laughs> fucking stumbled his way into it. <laughs> there was a large dinner that evening with the generals, admirals, and political heads to discuss the state of the war with France. Sir Francis, England's newest spy, was delighted to attend what he assumed to be a banquet in his honor. 
bowing and nodding deeply, magnanimously to every guest and all the servants, and at one point a naked Greek statue. (laughs) But after enough of what manners dictate, Sir Francis began to roam the party, searching with the hope of spotting a glimpse of... Anybody? Uh, Jennifer Garner. Jessica Alba. The buffet. Oh. Courtly manners was hungry work and he needed refreshment. (laughs) He found it in the biggest array he'd ever seen. He paused, remembering the last time he assumed a free lunch. But after cautiously observing three others take part, he began to load up several plates. Many plates. A few on each arm, and when he could hold no more, he took the apple out of a pig's mouth with his own. (laughs) Arms full, he turned to find the banquet hall empty. He looked around for a moment, tiptoeing hesitantly forward. Full plates, mouth apple. Through an open door, he saw the military leaders gathered around a large map of the world. Feeling immediately out of the loop... Sir Francis began to look for a place to set down his five-course meal. He found a much too small table and began a whole routine of trying to safely remove his plates without them falling. Unbeknownst to him, a servant entered the room behind him and placed a large tray of champagnes on the banquet table. He left, and another servant with a huge black mustache and shifty eyes pulled out a vial with a skull on it and began to pour a drop into each glass. Sir Francis had no idea, and at this point was adjusting a Jenga tower of plates with his leg like a ballet dancer. (laughs) Mouth apple intact. (laughs) He finally balanced the last little sorbet at the top of the tower and rushed into the meeting he was now quite late for. He immediately bumped into the shifty new waiter who spilled his 14 champagnes which began to eat into the stone floor with a loud corrosive hiss. Oh, damn. Oh. The room froze. The English commanders looked at Sir Francis, who tried to play it cool, and at the waiter, who also tried to seem cool, but out of his waiter outfit fell a portrait of the King of France. Oh. (laughs) They all looked back at Sir Francis, who broadened his shoulders and puffed out his chest. Sorry, when you say waiter outfit, I just, I'm picturing just a t-shirt that says waiter on it. Staff. <laughs> just the most, like, customink.com t-shirt. But the word French is crossed out and written above it is English. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, don't tell them you're French <laughs> underneath. His career only took off from there. Sir Francis was soon named spymaster by the Queen and became intimately involved in the war with France. He sat in on countless strategy meetings, nodding yes to any map shown to him, and signing all documents with an X. (laughs) There were ups and downs. Sir Francis lost a few of his spies in the field, packing tea and crumpets and jam in all their to-go bags, and waving at a few who were undercover. But there were also great triumphs. Years later, in 1582... Now with a full Van Dyke and feathered cap, mm. Sir Francis nodded off at the wheel of a frigate, steering it sideways and blocking a canal, which only 20 minutes later would have been full of French warships. 
For averting the attack, he, of course, received a medal, which unfortunately got caught over his nose and then in his mouth as he wetly chewed his thanks to his beloved queen. (laughs) I think that's the first alternate history with the phrase wetly chewed. (laughs) He was buried in Westminster in 1590, just a few miles from the humble farm he was born to. Historians can't seem to decide conclusively what impact, if any, Sir Francis had to the art of intelligence. But even today, young future spies visit his grave, leaving a small Dakota ring or a lunchbox with a false bottom and tribute. <laughs> nice. Malcolm, thank you. Oh, happy to. Uh, listeners, before we, uh, before we move on to judgment, uh, I just want to say, uh, hey, we have a, uh, a Patreon, which is uh, a great way to really show us uh, that you s- support the shit that comes out of our mouths. Um, sure. But uh, and while we would support, well, we would appreciate any support you'd be willing to give us. Uh, there's definitely a lot of uh, worthy causes out there right now, which uh, we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, to do I'm instead. pledging right now. Be like uh, me. Yeah, there's yeah. Um, dollar a month. It. Yeah, yep. thank you. Um, and my uh, infant daughter thanks you. Not to give the hard sell to the listeners. Oh, um, buying baby food? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, so, uh, you can also, uh, you know, send us a letter at revisionistpodcast.com. Just uh, select our contact form. Uh, or reach out on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Sure. Um, Actually, no, not Facebook, because we don't really check that one, because it's a hellhole. Um, but, anyway. The other thing you can do that's deeply uh, helpful is to write a written review on iTunes, preferably five stars, and you can write whatever the fuck you want. You could just write the words, wetly chewed, and that's, <laughs> that is as good as any other written review. I'm doing that right now. There you go. <laughs> I yet I'm getting suddenly so many uh, number mass text messages that just say wetly chewed. You guys are on a watch list now. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. That comes with the territory. Um, but Malcolm, uh, you you've got a lot of projects in the offing, but the one people can follow right now is MC University, correct? Yeah. So you know, if it hadn't you know sort of come up a little bit. I have a podcast all about the Marvel movies where my co-host and I, uh, we love to just do like a deep dive and not only look at the film, but like really figure out how a cinematic universe does get built in order. We want to trace if clothing carries over or if background characters become important or if there's any continuity at all to the Infinity Stones or whatever. And uh, we also break down the film into different categories like character and story, world, and action, which I think is also interesting because we found that instead of now just giving a film a hard pass, like you might have like, oh, the Thor of the Dark World stinks, well, now you can say, hey, actually the world building was really cool and got slept on because the writing was bad or whatever. So uh, it's, it's a really cool journey and companion to the series. We update occasionally, but there's a big catalog right now well and it's also uh it works in regards that uh, it is a franchise that you know 
pretty consistently you'll get a new uh film to discuss as of this recording uh i believe shang chi would have come out yesterday and yeah spider-man's not far off in the distance so clearly there's so we'll like a lot of volunteer employed for a long time yeah, yeah. i mean in addition of to, to uh, all the tv shows and all of that for sure too mm-hmm. um <clears throat> uh, Zach, you uh, you co-host Movie Trap, also, which we've uh, discussed in a sort of similar realm. Of course, yeah. Uh, Movie Trap is my other podcast that I do with my two friends. Um, it's a continuation of a podcast we did 10 years ago that we restarted because of the pandemic. Basically, uh, one of us picks a theme um, for, for our film trilogy, uh, be it like isolation or films directed by a certain person or... Um, you know, failed franchise starters, or we let our significant others pick the, the movies for that round. We each contribute one film in that theme, and at the end, we vote. Uh, and whoever wins uh, the best film for that round gets to pick the next theme. And so it continues apace. That's the basic premise. It's just a film discussion podcast. But if you like this, perhaps you will like that as well. Awesome. Um, as for me, listeners, um, again, live stand-up comedy, not really a thing that I am super comfortable doing right now. So not much to plug there, but I will say um, that right now is a good time if you have some extra money lying around uh, to give to, I'm going to point out two uh, causes in particular. One is uh, local to Denver. It's the uh, African Community Center, which is going to be doing a lot of work uh, resettling Afghan migrants uh, and refugees. Um, and you can find that at acc-den.org. Um, and the other one is called uh, Hope for Haiti, which Haiti was, I mean, it's been going th- through a lot for a couple centuries but the last uh, few months in particular have been very hard. Um, so, and they, they need the support. And I've also just seen, like my typical instinct would be Red Cross, but Red Cross has sort of a troubling history in Haiti. And I've seen a lot of Haitians asking people not to support them. Um, so if you can find an alternate way to give, that'd be fantastic. An alternate? way to give earth two baby Uh, yeah yeah fine we'll go with that give the Uh, gift of a blimp (laughs) yeah that's for the cost of a that is the one future coffee a day (laughs) that is the most american response you could possibly (laughs) Um, but that brings us to the uh judgment portion of the show which uh, falls on my shoulders this episode and um, I have to say I think for <clears throat> excuse me for giving us a Mr. Bean-esque Harpo figure um, Harpo being yes my third favorite Marx brother but still a Marx brother um, I'm going to have to cast my vote for Malcolm's alternate history um, but uh, listeners, voting is now 
uh, open on Patreon and then check out the Instagram feed on Wednesday, September 15th uh, for the final round of voting to have your say on that. All right. Uh, yeah. yeah. It was a well-prepared alternate. Mm-hmm. Um, we are going to do um, another in our uh, spy series, and then we're going to start our Halloween episodes, the episode yeah. after next. So prepare for three weeks, three episodes of spooky spooky topics uh which will be mm-hmm. tbd yeah uh as always it's one of my favorite series of episodes of the year um so very excited for that um but yeah malcolm thank you so much for joining us oh thanks for having me i i haven't done a podcast in a while i'm sure you guys can understand like getting out of the flow of it and uh sure. and my own is so sparing that just getting reached out to uh meant a lot and then you know your premise it just left me wide open to play around which was a joy so thank you yeah thank you for doing it uh zach thank you as always yeah absolutely and uh for everyone here at the revisionists i'm brian flynn i'm zach powers have a good time do it i'm doing it right now September 4th, 1666. In London, England, the worst day of destructive damage from the Great Fire occurs. The exact cause of the fire is unclear, but one of Charles II's 19 children's gender reveal party seems like a safe bet. September 4th, 1781. Los Angeles is founded as El Pueblo de Nuestra Señora de Riana de Los Angeles, the village of Our Lady, the Queen of the Angels by 44 Spanish settlers, each of whom got to pick one word to be in the name. September 4th, 1950. Darlington Raceway is the site of the inaugural Southern 500, the first 500-mile NASCAR race. The six-hour race took six hours, during which spectators were described as watching cars drive around for six hours, at which points the cars stopped driving and everyone went home to recharge for next year when they would again watch the cars go for six hours. September 4th, 1781. The city of Los Angeles is founded by 44 Spanish settlers who all split a two-bedroom in Silver Lake. September 4th, 1998. Two students at Stanford, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, established Google. Their first goals are raising investment money, refining their search algorithms, and hunting down and executing Jeeves. <laughs>